Hello, this is Matt Hale with Art Monthly's programme on Resonance FM. We're talking about the April issue of Art Monthly and two pieces from it, written by Sally O'Reilly, a writer, and Mark Prince, a writer and artist who's based in Berlin. Now, Mark has written a feature which is entitled Remakes, and we're going to discuss that first of all, and then we'll move on to link that somehow or other, very cleverly, with Sally's review of a show at the Royal College of Art by John Smith, of the work, it's the work of John Smith, it's actually curated by the students who do the curating course there. Okay, Mark, um, fairly complicated um, feature, which I think I understand to a degree, and it's a lot to do with, and I'm not going to say exactly what it's to do with, but just to get the ball rolling, it deals with artists who make work which is about themselves or somehow other autobiographical in in nature as its subject. Am I touching roughly the right area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to <laughs> expand a bit more in, in detail on, on, on that? Yeah, I think um, um, that in the last, I don't know, a uh, hundred years or something, there's been uh, in fiction, literary fiction and in art, there's been a kind of shift towards autobiographical modes, generally, towards from the third person towards the um, the first person narrative. And I guess I was writing about what that means. Yeah. What the consequences of that have been. <clears throat> so just to be clear, the th- it, a th- what would be a third person narrative? He went walked down the river. Yeah, the, the street. In, in art, in an artwork, what, say how would. Yeah, um, I was. I, I remember in 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 the. I don't know whether it was the previous previous issue or the issue before this of Art the, Monthly. Of Art Monthly, yep. there was an interview with um, Artis Mizuski, the Polish uh, artist, um, and he said something like that: the difference between literature, one difference between literature and art, was that um, you can't have an unreliable narrator in in visual art. That somehow if you show something it's always the artist speaking right the artist takes the responsibility for the gesture and i thought no <laughs> <laughs> i don't agree with that right i think that's not true i think there are you can it, it's it can be as complicated as it is in uh, a novel or yes. a, a short story yes in terms of what um the point of view is like you, we talk about point of view in literature yes. in, in a novel and i think that it's it, it's it can be as complicated as that in in um in 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 visual art yeah that's you, my point yeah no sure kind of and when when did this shift that you mentioned earlier occur then well, you were saying earlier on that you were talking about postmodernism and how it's like <laughs> a kind of well we're having a coffee before <laughs> yeah, you're yes, right yes um and, and i was saying that i think y- you go back earlier than that you know you go back to uh the, the sort of the fragmentations that of modernism yes that somehow that entailed uh fragmentation of um the self the artist's self or the and the self that's as it's embodied in the artwork yeah i mean you mentioned u.s minimalism in the 60s yeah don't that's you? after <laughs> yeah but that's like a, a yeah that's i think that's a an example of that um yeah right can you say well uh, 
I think that minimalism was um, partly about um, making an, an, an artwork which was non-associative, non-referential, which was about the material. Yeah, it was itself. It was what you what what was there. You could see the the material. You could perceive it. You could walk around it. And I think that one way of looking at that is that it it um, it creates a gap between the artist and the artwork, so that the artist is somehow purged from the yes. from the work. You just have the object. It's a uh, piece of wood or metal or something. Yeah, and and. and it, it it creates a separation, and I think that's one of the uh, one manifestation of that. What I was talking about. Yeah, we mean something like Donald Judd or, or yeah, or, Carl or Andre Robert or Morris. Robert Morris. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and then and, and that's pre-postmodernism, and then you, then you get your postmodernism. Yeah, and and then in the feature I talk about some of the artists who um, came after the minimalists like Mike Mike Kelly Mike Kelly and Kippenberger Martin Kippenberger yeah German German artist. yeah who, who who in a way turned that around to some extent by making the artwork ostensibly extremely um, uh, subjective by making it about an idea of themselves right or, that that to me is a fairly complicated concept right so okay without mm. I mean I don't mean it just be helpful if you could explain what that what that means a bit little bit more well maybe by examples i mean in in the in the feature i talk about say with um felix gonzalez torres I, I don't think i mentioned him in the feature but i talk about kippenberger and or, or, or kelly so take mike kelly yeah you have this piece that uh, that i talk about where he um he has a tabletop a trestle top tabletop and he has a load of um, a collection of uh, architectural models, which they're all white, and they could, if you glanced at them briefly, look like a minimalism, like a kind of white cube, a series of white cubes. But then you look closer, and it turns out to be um, their architectural models. Yeah. And actually, they represent um, important sites or... Um, places from his youth yeah important to mike the artist important to the artist yes. exactly but they, not that wouldn't be known by the viewer necessarily when they first look at it well yeah they I mean, might you, learn you, that you, you might learn that if you if you if you but that that's what it that's no, what sure. he intends it to represent yeah but parts of these surfaces are kind of um erased um and as as though and i think for him this this in the intention was that this represented Things he couldn't remember. Yeah. Things so the missing parts were the bits that yeah. were not remembered. So in a way, if you, from the, the way I describe this piece in the feature is as uh, to take minimalism, which we just talked about, and the ways that minimalism were uh, militated against subjectivity, and to turn it right around and make it very autobiographical. Yeah. But in a way that's conscious of what came before yeah. to the extent that that the amnesia what's what can't be remembered what's lost what's what he what the, the the work doesn't give him back about his past 
takes him back to minimalism, which 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 in so in, in a sense those that that work um, also interprets minimalism. Yes, an inter- is a kind of implicit interpretation of of minimalism. Yeah, we're talking about educational complex, yeah. which he made in 1995. Right. Yeah. 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 And we we have a picture of it in the mag, which I'm glad to see because uh-huh. I've never seen the work. But it reminds me slightly, actually. I don't know if you know Langlands and Bell, but uh, they yeah. they do white three-dimensional model works but completely different approach to, to it but it, it, it also is very like an architectural uh, model yeah hmm. well that's very interesting i i am um, you, you go on to use other other artists as well i mean and you mentioned subjectivity which i'm low to make you spell out exactly what it means but it, it's it is i'm not going to okay but it is quite core to your piece the the, the re- <clears throat> where subjectivity lies in relation to how the artist is or does or does not deal with it and and, you know how it is supposedly pushed aside by postmodernism or not and and how people are still trying to hang on to it in some way i think one of the one of the import one of the things that's happened is that um i mean if you go back to literature that there's been a uh a a shift and and i think this for for example if you if you think about Philip Roth's work, or a lot of those American writers, there seems to have been. Um, it's it's almost as though they were drawn to trying to it, away from a, from an ability, a sense that they could become be a, an omniscient um, viewer of the world, towards uh, having to somehow um, create metaphors for the self. Ways of surrogate selves, aliases for the um, for the artist, for the writer, and I think that this is something that it's it's just a kind of current. It's a that seems to have been, and you can call it postmodernistic because I think it's it um, coincides with what what we call what we tend to call postmodernistic in this, from the second half of the twentieth century, sixties, seventies. Yes. People are drawn to trying to define that they they don't feel any anymore that they f- are able to that they're comfortable or that they can trust knowing what someone else feels or being able to claim to testify to to, to, to someone else's experience. So they feel only the thing they can be sure of is what is themselves. I think when I in the feature I look on. That there's two sides to that. that it's also that not knowing about yourself, right? Which Just, and acknowledging that, yes, yeah. Which is what what, what I think yeah. you're saying about Mike Kelly, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe if you put if you put a spotlight onto the self, it starts to become ambiguous, ambivalent, uncertain. Right, right. Yeah. Now, in terms of you, which you, I'm mentioning this because you mentioned it, but the the art market necessitates having a product and having a product made by a person who's who's a known individual an identity and yeah, has an, an identity with an identity so yeah. there is an immediate kind of you'd say or you imagine maybe that, that that's an immediate problem if people actually don't really feel in their work you know that they can they have an individualness mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. there presumably their work would start to be um would would not have a consistent style or form or it might and therefore, it become quite unmarketable. Now, I, I, I'm not. I'm sort of making this point. You actually give other examples of people who, who are highly marketed, 
like Damien Hurst, for instance, that he where does he where does he fit? Because you talk about his his show, his sale at Sotheby's, where he kind of remade his own work in a, in a kind of kitsch or hyperized fashion. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I write about one aspect of what I'm talking about is 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 the way that artists can. Um, make a fiction of their own public persona right. in, within their work yes. and exploit that. In yes. a way. So it, it's like a kind of um, like a kind of corruption of the idea of the confessional self in, 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 as a, the, the artist as a, as a uh, self-expressive confessional entity voice. It's like turning it around and say, "Okay, I will be a voice," but actually, the voice is somehow only a, uh, a veneer, yeah, uh, uh, which is conscious of itself as a fiction, right, and presenting itself as such. I'm going to try and be clever. I don't know if I'll manage it, but no, not really. I'm kidding. We're going to. We must bring in Sally, and I'd love to talk about her John Smith review. No, but in relation, I mean, we may be able to say that John somehow or other perhaps links with what you've just said in terms of his. Attitude to making his work, S- Sally. W- what do you reckon? Well, rather than talking about his attitude to making his work, Fine. I think the artist's voice, yeah, uh, that's what in I relation mean. to John's work, chimes exactly with what you're saying. And I think he evokes this idea of precarious or contingent subjectivities by changing his voice or, or his sense of self. If you think of subjectivity as the way that you know the vocabulary that we accrue to describe ourselves to the world and to describe the world to us. He changes the sort of vocabularies that he uses from film to film. So, for instance, there's a great film called, which is my favourite, I think, The Black Tower, yeah. which is full-blown narrative, and he's fictionalised himself, but there are elements of it that you know are autobiographical, like, for instance, it's shot in his own house, and he's looking out of his own window to the other side of the street that he's very much socially and politically involved with. But I'll not uh, I'll not uh, say any spoilers here, <laughs> but he um, he represents himself as sort of verging on psychotic at times. And then, say, in uh, some later films like The Hotel Diaries, he's travelling around the world being a well-known filmmaker and he's speaking behind the camera, so you just see these empty hotel rooms. And he talks about, say, for, for instance, what film uh, festival he's just taken part in, and then the camera starts wandering about around the room, and he starts tying up his own personal narrative to much broader political narratives, such as um, Palestine and Israeli politics, uh, if he's in you know, a yes, yes. hotel, for instance. So his voice is never stable, and it's also never, well, in many pieces, not static in terms of its uh, sense of self. So, um, yeah, let me think of some particular examples. There's, I think it's a hotel in Palestine where he's laying on the bed and he's talking about his experience earlier on that day where he's uh, travelling through, he's travelled through a checkpoint yeah. and how it's made very difficult for Palestinians and it's easier for Westerners, etc. And the camera is connecting to objects around the room whenever he mentions a certain phenomenon. So you see these rhythms of camera movement. Right. And actually, I've got them probably all a bit mixed up in my head, but then suddenly there's, there's this phenomenon in one hotel room where 
the, the ceiling tiles just lift up inexplicably <laughs> from this sun gust. And it's suddenly hilarious. So there's this very stark contrast between very serious and just ridiculous, which which also ties in with a lot of his earlier work, the way that he would switch very abruptly between humorous narrative and structural filmmaking concerns, as in The Black Tower. Yeah, because he, he, he was taught or came out of structuralist film school or was taught by structuralist filmmakers, wasn't, wasn't he, I think? Yeah, he was operating, well, he was a student in the 70s when, when everybody was making very minimal films and he kind of worked against the grain by operating narratively and I think this is probably, I'm not sure quite how dramatically to paint his autobiography but (laughs) I think he was in part shunned by experimental filmmakers because of his supposed mainstream well the introduction of narrative for yeah. instance of some sort yeah, yeah. was not was not yes i mean well no of course the whole point of structuralism was to show the illusory aspects of filmmaking and to bring it all back to the surface yes. and the materiality of film yeah. etc but he was still telling stories to an extent but he seems to do both he does and that, uh, which I is very clever i think which is probably why he's so admired now and has been welcomed into the visual art fold rather late on in his to career, say the least say. yes mm. yeah no, that's, that, that is interesting. I um, There was one film, which I can't remember what it's called, I'm sorry, but it's, it was um, some sort of air vent in a window, and then there were two screens, weren't there? Yeah. And one was like a, looking from the outside into a house through through the window, with a, and, and then there was another image as well on another screen. But they somehow were... It was very simple, something just moving. And Can you describe well, that were, one a bit more? They were two separate films that he made in the early 80s, I think. That's right. And one was a fan on a desk, and another one was a vent in a, in a toilet window. That's right. And what's rather nice about the show that's on at the Royal College is that they've reconfigured some old work to make new installation pieces. So whereas John would usually be shown in cinemas because of his film context, yeah. he now has a chance to play with the idea of installations in galleries. And so this is one of the pieces that the curating course there uh, offered him the opportunity to make. Sorry, I sound really kind of gushing about it, as they offered him the opportunity. <laughs> but it, it does actually seem like a, a, a properly good curating decision, albeit a strange one, to offer such an established and well-known filmmaker a solo show as a an MA curating course outcome. It seems rather conservative, but very, very timely in terms of John's lack of exposure in the visual art world, but also the way that he can make an innovative switch between cinema and gallery. So the point is that the students decided to, to the students were curating the show, the people who were graduating from the, from the Royal College. Yeah, every year right. they curate a a show throughout the galleries at the Royal College there, which are vast. Is it just one or two of the students, or is it like a a joint decision, a kind of collective decision? It's collective. There's about 14 of them, I think. Yeah. There's under 20, anyway, and they work... Usually they've always done big group shows with lots of work in it. Right. And they have even sometimes sectioned them up and five people may do one section and five may do another. So I think this was, so this was really unusual. unusual and they called right. it Solo Show, which is kind of odd because it says John Smith. They didn't have to put Solo Show, but obviously it was important. To them that, right. in, which, and it was actually. And, and, I think and it was you say his, his work's presented differently than it's been presented before. Not all of it, some of it. And this is like the earlier work or the later work? This I th- they faced off, in another instance, they faced off a very early work with a much more recent work which was where where he's singing the 12 days of christmas on consecutive days and then he edits it so that 
then they don't run together melodically so it was the uh, five gold rings and then four calling birds and it's all it's all disjointed like that uh that was a treat that was lovely. Uh, <laughs> and he did that on film in the 70s i think and um the it it, it wasn't showable because it was somehow covered in some strange surface intractable surface dirt and then he remade it using video no. in the 90s oh, right. and then they faced those two off together which is again an interesting counterpoint between technologies mm-hmm. yeah so they really used every possible they stretched contrast. him out didn't they really mm-hmm. yeah in terms of this individual narrative or stuff i mean do, do you think that john I mean, you do. You come away from the show, I think, knowing John, in a way, from the work. But that's what you think. But actually, I can't think. You you don't really see him much. You hear him. You hear him a lot, and he has a great convivial voice. And especially on video, he's talking very closely to the camera, so it feels quite intimate. But I think a lot of the political work um, is railing against this, you know, the cult of the individualism which, you know, this sort of postmodern subjective celebrity culture uh, comes from. I think he is railing against that in terms of anti-Thatcherite um, policies. You mean, in, in has the that's the, he makes that the subject, the anti-Thatcher thing is the subject of the work? It's often certainly the impulse behind the work right. as well. So there's a complexity between his representation of self. It is quite often to obfuscate the self in the way that you were talking about mm-hmm. previously yeah mm-hmm. just i just remembered another work mark that, that you mentioned which was one by well it was, a, it was a show i think by sarah lucas yeah and which was the kind of re when she was sort of re you know like you were talking about like sally was talking about the the, the old works being faced off to make a new work yeah. she was making work which were referring to an earlier work mm. wasn't she in that in that show could you yeah, say a bit like, more a little bit about um, that yeah it was something that was that i saw uh, in london last um autumn yeah um she had she she had a it was in a building which was um it, it was unusual because it was in a very uh, kind of posh area of london it was in mayfair yeah mayfair yeah. right right in the middle of london and it was like a shell it would have been uh, it was in the process or about to be renovated. So it was very unusual. It was stripped. There were just the walls were kind of wires hanging out of the walls and, and there was dust everywhere. And she just, she used that very um, stripped down, impoverished um, uh, uh, environment, t- t- I think, to to do something with the work it was like a, it felt like something almost like specific you yeah know? so you so had a psychological yeah. atmosphere or well yeah or an atmosphere also, that, also that, that, that it was somehow <coughs> the work seemed kind of impoverished because this is you think of these artists as being um well their, their market values are very high they have high celebrity kind of um value they're 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 very visible they're very Famous. Her personality, her picture, yeah, her or, picture or, is very well known. Or, it's in her work, yeah, and she and, is well and known. And also, the piece that the work was about—that this is a big series of pieces—was was a very famous piece. It's one of those. It's one of the um, one of her signature pieces. It's also one of the sort of seminal works from that period of British art. You know, you recognise it. So, uh, it's a famous image. So, about, you're about Bunny. Yeah, from 1997. Right, right, right. So. Um, and then she, she she did this thing where she was looking back 
at that piece, but in a way that she couldn't. It was like trying to remember something that never really came into focus. Right. Because these pieces, where the earlier piece was very much like a very stark, um, it was a strong image. It was it was like a representational thing, and and this was very much like. Like abstraction, was like, it like the similar materials and similar right. sort of scale of things, yes. but but it didn't quite form itself into yeah. into the figure. Is it that was something? It was like something was lost and something was trying to be refound, but couldn't be. Yes. Mm. Can I add something to that? It seems that there's something um, that's running beneath what we're all saying here, which is some slight difference or entanglement between showing and telling. And I'm I'm thinking also about this idea of contingent subjectivities and the idea that you can never show anything, but you can tell someone how it appears to be, and so that mode of telling is is constantly um, redefinable or rewordable. Yeah, um, I think the thing about say the Sarah Lucas show was that it. it showing what she was what she was showing had become unclear you couldn't it was it wasn't about showing anymore it was about i think that's one of the things that abstraction does it 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 obfuscates the ability to show or to tell or to say and i think that's what partly what she was doing and this that's also t to do with artwork being functional and to do with being able to testify to something that's clear and functional, like, you know, this is who I was. You think, well, maybe the things become um, opaque in a way. It's, it's, it sounds terribly sad, <laughs> doesn't yeah. it? But it, it, it probably was. I think was. it was a very, it was a kind of, it, well, I don't know, sad's probably No, too. but I mean, that's my word. I, do, you yeah. think, do you think it's completely, you can't use that kind of word? No, um, I, I, I think it was, it was a kind of, S screwed up nostalgia and nostalgia that wasn't functioning yeah anymore. and nostalgia is pretty sad usually there is there's something else to be said for this vulnerability vulnerability though that, yeah. that, that we're all vulnerable to not being able to show who we are or tell how we feel and uh, there's there's um the, the thought that if we all acknowledge mutual vulnerability in this sense then actually we can turn it around into solidarity and a point of unification which is optimistic. That's a lovely, <laughs> lovely thing to say. I really like that. Yes, no, I, I do agree. We're all unified now and confess something or other unifiedly. No, what am I talking about? <laughs> Rubbish. Listen, that's been fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that. It's, uh, I'm afraid, the end of the programme, but um, there's lots um, more we could say. I'm sure if we could carry on, and I hope we will afterwards as well. And please, listeners, do um, read their pieces in the April issue of Art Monthly and other pieces which are in it as well. Um, Mark, thank you so much for coming all the way from Berlin today. Thank and thank you, Sally, for coming in as well. Sally O'Reilly and Mark Prince, you've been listening to. And one more thing, if you, as resident listeners, wish to get a discount on a subscription to Art Monthly, now's the time to do it. You get 30% off and you can email subs at artmonthly.co.uk and just say you heard this on Resonance Radio or you can go to the website www.artmonthly.co.uk You can listen again to this programme by podcasting on the Art Monthly website at the events stage or on Resonance Radio itself. Do tune in again next month and we look forward to meeting you there. Bye-bye. <laughs>